Before we get too deep into the weeds on playoff talk, I want to mention one thing first. On Saturday, Oklahoma is playing for their fifth consecutive conference championship. I know the be grateful for what you have bit can be tiresome sometimes, but I truly believe it's important to acknowledge this. That level of sustained success is not normal. It takes unbelievable hard work, skill, and luck to put yourself in that situation five consecutive years. I remember how good it felt in 2002, 2006, and 2010 just to return to the Big 12 championship game after a one-year hiatus from the previous season. And now, we're going into this game like it's a foregone conclusion. It almost feels like you can pencil it in before the season starts. That feeling is a privilege, and there's no telling when that will no longer be the status quo. So with that in mind, try to appreciate and enjoy this one just a little more on Saturday. Now, on to the playoff talk. I'm going to drop my typical argumentative nature for the purposes of this opening take, and I'm only going to give you the facts as they've been laid out to us by the committee. After Tuesday night's ranking, I believe I now have a pretty firm grasp of how the committee is operating this season. In a nutshell, I believe the committee is telling us that Oklahoma will not vault over Utah in the rankings with just a simple win against Baylor. Here's why I think that. Oklahoma's resume is already significantly better than Utah's. Utah's best win is on the road over a 7-5 Washington team that finished 4-5 in the Pac-12. Oklahoma's best win, comparatively, is on the road over an 11-1 Baylor team that the committee has as the 7th best team in the country right now. That victory also came without OU's best player on the field. Utah's second best win is probably in the opening week of the season at 7-5 BYU. Or you could also take your pick between blowout wins at home over 7-5 Arizona State and 7-5 Cal. Both of those teams, by the way, also finished 4-5 in the Pac-12. In fact, Utah only played one team this season in conference that had a winning conference record. That was USC. And the Utes lost to them 30-23. Now, it appears the committee is giving Utah a bit of a mulligan for that loss against USC because their star running back, Zachary Moss, was injured in the first half and did not play a majority of the game. Although their run game did not suffer in Moss's absence, they were still able to run for 250 yards at 5 yards per pop in the game. And all of this, of course, is overlooking the fact that USC started their third-string quarterback in the game, who proceeded to throw for 351 yards and 3 TDs. But I digress. I won't defend Oklahoma's loss to Kansas State, but Oklahoma's second, third, and fourth best wins are either stronger or equal to Utah's best overall win heading into conference championship week. The committee knows this. They're privy to the same information we are. Yet, they still had Utah ahead of Oklahoma in this week's poll. What can we take from this? They're obviously putting a massive amount of stock into how Utah looks. Now, we know from reporter questioning a few weeks ago that game control is not a metric that the committee uses, at least in the sense that there is not an equation that spits out a number to gauge a team's ability to control a game that they use, according to them. Instead, if we take them at their word, they're very obviously using the subjective eye test to justify ranking Utah over Oklahoma. So, if Oklahoma's resume is not vaulting them over Utah right now because of the eye test— I think we can safely assume that another ranked win this week will likely not move the needle for OU. This is because Utah is playing their own ranked team this week as well, which would be their first ranked win of the season. But what does this all mean? I think OU's only chance to make the playoff in the event of a Utah win on Friday night 
is to take Baylor behind the woodshed and utterly destroy them on Saturday morning. Rob Mullins has said it repeatedly. Utah has been consistent and dominant. That's the only reason they're ahead of Oklahoma. The Sooners will need to show their dominance on Saturday. It's really their only hope. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Oklahoma trying to take the lead. Snap back. Hold is down. Kick is away. And it is good! It is good! Gabe Burkich puts Oklahoma on top for the first time since it was 3-0. Gabe Burkich highlights our intro on this latest edition of West of Everest. His 31-yard field goal gave the Sooners a 34-31 lead over Baylor last month in Waco. That would prove to be the winning points for the Sooners after Nick Benito sealed the game with an interception. And as you all know, OU beat the Bears 34-31 in what was the largest comeback win in school history. And now three weeks later, those teams rematch with the Big 12 championship on the line and possibly a college football playoff spot on the line. Hey everybody, I am Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show with his opening take today. This is going to be a show similar to last week in the sense that Grant and I will not be going back and forth on the pod today, but I've got plenty of audio clips from Grant that I'll play throughout the show. This was an an executive decision made by me because of a Wednesday night time crunch, and just to give you an idea of what I meant, between the 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock shows at work, I didn't have any time to record the podcast with Grant. The Thunder played, Oklahoma State played. It was a busy time. I had talked to Dusty Dvorak on Wednesday as well. It's part of what we do at News 9 on Wednesdays. Dusty and I, this week, as Dean was out, we talked. That's on News9.com. That all happened, and it's 1 a.m. right now, technically Thursday morning, late Wednesday night, and that's why Grant is not on the podcast because he, I'm sure, is sound asleep in bed, and I knew I wouldn't be able to do this uh, in the evening time when he was available. So... You all know the drill by now. Rate, review the show on iTunes. We've been getting some great reviews lately. Uh, Special thanks to my News 9 colleague, Jed Castles, for the kind review recently. Also, we've been getting some negative ratings, but that's okay. We're allowed to be criticized. Thanks for taking the time to leave some feedback either way. No problem. Like the West of Evers Facebook page. Follow Grant and I on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. My apologies if you've emailed the show lately. I haven't checked the inbox in quite a while. I'll need to get on that pretty soon. By the way, send us an email if, you, if you'd like. I'll check it after the show. It's westofeverest at gmail.com. So let's start with just some thoughts and takeaways from Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch's media availabilities on Monday. I'm going through my notes here. A lot of talk I know after that game was about body language when it came to C.D. Lamb and we briefly touched on it on the post-game podcast and Tyler Palmatier from the Norman Transcript I believe is who asked Lincoln Riley about body language not specifically about C.D. Lamb but if how important body language is if you notice negative body language on film and you know how do you try to improve that and Riley mentioned or said the answer is that you just you've got to know your guys. You've got to know what kind of players you have on the team. And he says that this team right now has a lot of positive vibes. And, you know, sometimes you're in the moment and things get tough and you get emotional because it's an emotional game. 
And Riley said that you want emotional players, but they've got to channel it the right way. Essentially, he feels pretty good about it. And also, he didn't say much at all, didn't have a whole lot to say about questions of CeeDee Lamb's role right now. Obviously, he's not getting as many targets and catches over the last few weeks, missed the Baylor game. And it was another one of those situations where Riley said that I think this is more of a story outside the locker room than it is inside the locker room. And I tend to believe him. I don't think CD Lamb is a type of player that's going to toxify the locker room just because maybe he's not getting as many touches or catches and targets. He knows his role. He knows he's an incredibly important player on the team. And he's going to be incredibly important this Saturday against Baylor. So that to me, I did notice it seemed like some of his body language on Saturday in Bedlam. Sure, it, it didn't look great, but it's not like Lincoln Riley's not going to scheme up ways to get him the football and put the ball in his hands because he's so electric and he is an incredibly important piece of this team as the Big 12 title comes here. And if Oklahoma can make the playoff, he's going to be one of the most important players on that offense on the field. As we know, we saw last year in the Orange Bowl, he is a weapon and defenses will know it and even if he is a decoy because they put multiple players on him that just shows how important he is and and that can open up things for somebody else so I'm not too concerned about C.D. Lamb his role and his attitude right now I think it's I think it's a non-story that's about it from Lincoln Riley he was asked about the GT counterplay the bread and butter play that we've been talking about for years on this show that everyone sees and you know how much success Oklahoma has. You see other teams utilizing this play. Baylor runs this play. You see TCU run this play. A lot of teams have essentially stolen this play from Oklahoma's playbook, but it seems like the Sooners are the ones that still run it the best out of everybody. And Riley's not going to go into detail. He's not going to give you X's and O stuff because he's incredibly secretive about his strategy and his playbook and things like that. And you're not surprised by that because he's an offensive genius. Uh, But he did say that just the execution of that play, the precision of that play is extremely difficult. And he could sit up there at the podium for hours talking about that one play. And it's a play that you either got to be all in or you're not. You can't just halfway do it. And he's talking about, I think, mainly the offensive linemen and the athleticism and the precision it takes. And probably also Jalen Hurts and reading it, if it's a, if there's a read attached to the play, things like that. And it's it's one of Oklahoma's, if not the most important play in Oklahoma's playbook. And uh, it was somewhat interesting to me to hear Lincoln Riley talk about it a little bit at the press conference. I listened to Alex Grinch's Monday availability. I did not go on Monday. It's been busy. Uh, Mondays are my off days, and I knew I'd be able to watch it back at work. So I apologize for not going and representing West of Everest there. But we did have News 9 out there. Brian Mueller always goes out there. I have some sound from Alex Grinch that I do want to play on what he's seen from the defense over the last few weeks and mainly since the second half of Baylor. And I'm going to play this soundbite, and I think you all will like it. I mean, it's you know it's a bit in the show. We'll find a soundbite that we like from Alex Grinch. We'll play it in case you all haven't heard it yet. And I'm not sure how much I'll have to say about this, but... I just want you to hear Alex Grinch because I think that what he said here was the more uh, one of the more interesting things he said on Monday. You see a group of guys on the sideline that 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 uh, are beginning to have a better understanding of the ebb and flow of of, of what what a Saturday should be like, and, and and not you know default to the category of well hope things go well. 
you know, and then and, and, uh, as long as the offense keeps scoring, then we'll probably be in okay shape, you know, and, and not and not looking for some type of agreement where my performance at this moment because of that scoreboard, my performance no longer matters. Um, and, and so I, I, I feel like we've, we've uh, you know, kind of worked through some of those things. And you're, you're never immune to that, but but just the communication from the guys on the sideline, obviously we're, we're, we're beating them uh, uh, kind of over the head with it, you know, in, in terms of – and also seeing the results. You know, there's four straight weeks where our final defensive play is a takeaway. Now, you know, we, we got to stop waiting to the last play to, to get some of these. But but in any event, you know, it, it's uh, we're getting more three and outs. We're, we're, we, we, you know, count on threes last week. So, you know, the, the answer is yes. But, again, it's always a one-game study, so you got to do it again this week. My biggest takeaway from that is the culture continues to change at Oklahoma. He's noticing there aren't players going out there and just being satisfied with getting off the field once or making one good play because – Maybe the last couple of years when the defense has been bad and the offense has been incredibly good, if the defense did get a stop you know, once or twice, it was, let's celebrate. This is a big deal. And we did our part. We did our part. Now the offense is going to go score. Whereas now, that doesn't seem to be the mentality. No matter what the score is, Oklahoma is forcing teams to play in threes. That is force them to kick field goals, not score touchdowns, three and out, takeaway, and the takeaways are happening more. And you heard Grinch reference that the takeaways have happened late in the game, the seal games recently. So the confidence is there, and I just liked hearing that from Alex Grinch because I hope that continues against Baylor and that it's not just something that coach says and that it's really seeping into the the brains of these players that they actually do believe in themselves and this defense that, yes, we are good. The numbers are pretty darn good, but we can also help out the offense quite a bit, get off the field, make it easy for the offense to control the football and go down and score points and keep playing this complimentary football. Uh, one little other part of Grinch's availability I thought was kind of interesting slash funny is that he brought up the fact that, you know, for a long time in the offseason leading up to the, the fall, we talked a lot about 129 for a long time, of course. You all know that he's referencing what Oklahoma was ranked in pass defense last year. That was something they harped on throughout the spring and just drilling it into their heads that, yeah, you guys were terrible. This can't happen again. And Grinch said, you know, thankfully we haven't had to talk about that in quite some time. So that's a great point. I don't know Oklahoma's pass defense ranking off the top of my head right now, but I would bet my life savings it's not 129. I do know Oklahoma right now is a top 30 defense going by total defense, which is which is fantastic. That's a great number right now. And the last thing on Alex Grinch that I found interesting is that he has experience coaching, you know, in a Big 10 title game, an SEC title game, and he referenced the SEC title game. This is back when he coached with Missouri years ago and he said that he liked to think that since Oklahoma's a lot of Oklahoma's defensive players have played in multiple Big 12 title games, that that will be beneficial. He'd like to think that will be something that helps out Oklahoma. But he said he thinks back to coaching in the SEC championship game and remembering that his team didn't play their best. So he's been reminding the Oklahoma defense this week that just because you've been here before and it's gone well for you, in the previous meetings in the Big 12 title game, that that's not the way necessarily it's going to go this time just if you show up. This is a new year. It's a new situation, a new opponent. And I like the fact that he's reminding these guys that, all right, be mentally tough. Just because you've had success in this game doesn't mean you can just waltz in here and expect to win against a really good Baylor team. So that's the other note from Alex Grinch's press conference slash, I guess, media availability, media scrum that 
that I enjoyed. So the All Big 12 awards came out Wednesday. This is voted on by the coaches. Coaches can't vote for their own players. Chuba Hubbard is the offensive player of the year, well-deserved. James Lynch, Oklahoma's going to see him again on Saturday from Baylor, the defensive player of the year. You got Jalen Hurts, who is the offensive newcomer of the year. LaRon Stokes, defensive newcomer of the year. If you would have told me today that, hey, an Oklahoma player got defensive newcomer of the year, I would not have guessed LaRon Stokes. I would have probably guessed Nick Benito. He's come on of late, filling in that role. Now that John Michael Terry's been out this last half of the year, I think he's been playing some good football. But, hey, good for LaRon Stokes. Clearly the other Big 12 coaches have noticed him, and in a in a rotational defensive lineman role, he has stood out. We have not talked about him enough on this podcast, I would say, based on the fact that the coaches around the conference really like what they've seen from LaRon Stokes this season. So congratulations to him. Creed Humphrey, a co-offensive lineman of the year as well. All in all, 12 total Sooners are recognized. And I'll be honest, I don't have super strong thoughts on this right now, but I know that Grant does have some strong thoughts. And here's what he has to say about the All Big 12 awards. So the uh, the All Big 12 teams came out on, on Wednesday night, and I know Lee doesn't really care about these, but I, I always find them fun. I, I like these. I think this is kind of one of the fun parts about about college football. But, you know, having that been said, I really thought there were quite a bit of misses this year on the All Big 12 team. Now, this is just the coaches voting, and I know the, the media, I think, will probably have a poll come out here after the conference championship game, I would guess. But a um, lot, uh, lot of selections I just really didn't agree with. Um Puka Williams being on the first team, I don't, I don't understand that pick. I, I understand he was second in the league amongst running backs and rushing yards, um, but only by like seventy-five yards over Kennedy Brooks. And uh, you know, Puka Williams played on a team that was that was three and nine this season, and uh, you know, Kennedy Brooks averaged about two and a half yards more per carry. And uh, Brooks has had some pretty big moments here in November, kind of sealing wins for OU. And Puka has had no such thing. Uh, so I, I just didn't really agree with that. Is it the end of the world? No, of course not. None of this is. It's it's not a huge deal. It's just kind of kind of my general thoughts on it. Um, and I thought the the offensive line just kind of had the most head scratchers. Um, Sam Cosme, the Texas left tackle, I thought I think he's the second best offensive lineman in in the league uh, behind Creed Humphrey, and he's on the second team. And his teammate Zach Shackelford, who I'm not even who probably shouldn't even be on the first or second team, is on the first team. Uh, Marquise Hayes arguably the most dominant guard in the conference. He's nowhere. He's not even an honorable mention. That's kind of a head-scratcher to me. Um, like I said, I mean, none of this is is that huge of a deal. It's a, a lot of this, especially on the, on the offensive line, is um, it, it's about, you know, it's about seniority and, and, and whatnot. On the defensive side, I, I thought Neville Gallimore should have been a, a first-teamer over Ross Blacklock at TCU. Um, but then also on the flip side, I, you know, if I'm objectively speaking, I thought Terrell Bernard should have been first team over Kenneth Murray as well. Um, Kenneth Murray put, you know, had, had, had a definitely had his best season as, as a sooner this year. And he made some, he made some awesome plays this year and flashed, flashed a lot of moments of brilliance. Uh, he's just, he's still just not that consistent at all. Um, in that, in the stretch where OU is kind of struggling and escaping by the skin of their teeth. A lot of the time he was nowhere to be found when they needed a play to be made. He was nowhere to be found. And uh, Terrell Bernard, whenever I watched, that guy just made plays over and over again. Wouldn't get confused in traffic. Would always have a nose for the football. Um, just, uh, you know, Kenneth Murray's more talented, has a higher upside, but Terrell Bernard is a more consistent player. 
And so that's that's just kind of what I think there. And then uh, Parnell Motley not being on the first team is just incorrect. So I, I thought I thought Motley and Neville Gallimore uh, were the two best, most consistent players on OU's defense this season. And uh, kind of bummed for Parnell that he that he didn't get that first teamer that uh, that he deserved. On uh, on on kind of the other side there with the uh, with the awards. Let's see here. Uh, Chuba Hubbard was the offensive player of the year, and um, yeah, I kind of disagree with this. Um, I and of course it, it's pretty easy for me to say. I mean, I'm an OU fan. That's fine. I I, I thought Jalen Hurts should have won this award. He's um, he's a quarterback. He I think he meant more to OU success this year than Chuba Hubbard did. Um, and and this is like this is not that big of a deal. Chuba had a had a great season. Um, it's completely reasonable take to think that Chuba is the offensive player of the year. So I mean, I don't find this particularly offensive or anything. Um, I just kind of come down. I thought Jalen Hurts had really a great season, and I, I, I understand that we were uh, at OU, where we were used to you know a pro style passing game and a pro style caliber passing game. Um, when we didn't see that this year, it was kind of jarring. It was a little different. It's the first time since 2014 we haven't seen that. Um, but there were times of just of brilliance in the passing game for Jalen Hurts. Um, Whenever he does make a decision and he makes the right decision, he can deliver some really beautiful balls. Um, and also, too, he was uh, he was he was the second best running back in the Big Twelve this season uh, behind Chuba Hubbard. Um, so I, I just it's it's more of a value thing for me. And also, I mean, I think it's completely reasonable to say, hey, Oklahoma State without Chuba Hubbard may not even be going to a bowl game. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts under I mean, if Tanner Mordecai was the quarterback this year. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm assuming the Sooners would probably have you know some more losses this season. So um, I just thought Jalen Hurts had a really valuable season. Uh, Leron Stokes winning Defensive Newcomer of the Year is kind of out of nowhere. Surprised by that. I thought Stokes was fine this year, but he never was insanely dominant or anything, or not never even really showed flashes of dominance. But uh, you know, glad he won that award. That's pretty cool. And then Creed, of course, uh, sharing co-offensive lineman of the year with Colton McKivitz at West Virginia. You know, McKivitz is a good player, but I, I don't I don't understand why you give an award to a guy who anchored the worst offensive line in the league. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, I thought Sam Cosme was was really impressive every single time I focused in on him. Um, outside of Creed Humphrey, I, I thought Cosme was the best <laughs> the best offensive lineman in the conference. So uh, that's a little that's kind of a head scratcher to me. Uh, James Lynch won defensive lineman of the year and defensive player of the year. Completely, completely deserved. James Lynch uh, is the best defensive player in this conference. He had a great season. Uh, going to the Big 12 title game, OU is, you know, if, if they can kind of shut him down and, and make him less impactful, uh, OU's going to win the game. Um, and then Matt Rule winning coach of the year is is absolutely correct. Um, him and him him and Ed Orgeron should be the two, uh, the two kind of in the running for national coach of the year. He's had just a really great season. All right, so those are Grant's thoughts on the all Big 12 awards. Uh, he said at the very beginning, I'm not that into this stuff. I, I will say... Parnell Motley not being on the first team is shocking. Neville Gallimore, you all know how much I like Neville. The stats aren't going to be there, but what he does in the middle takes on double teams. I I think he's a first team type talent. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with Grant on that. Uh, I, I think Chuba should have been the offensive player of the year, but I think Grant made a decent point. The fact that Obviously, Hertz had a really good season, and I do like the idea. Grant made a good point: the fact that Hertz is technically the second best running back in the conference, and also Hertz is a quarterback. So, I mean, they're just the way. I mean, Hertz was the Oklahoma's offense for the most part this season. So, yeah, I mean, I had Hertz as the offensive player of the year before the season preseason. 
not mad that it's Chuba Hubbard because Chuba Hubbard is more than deserving. But uh, I did think Grant made a pretty good argument for Jalen Hurts there. All right, let's get into the meat of this matchup. And let's begin with OU's offense versus Baylor's defense. Yep, time to talk Big 12 championship game. And I rewatched the last Baylor game again. And, you know, I got to say, Oklahoma's offense was actually pretty good for all four quarters of that one. I thought maybe in the first half when I first went through it that I was not going to be impressed. I thought Oklahoma's offense was was good all the way through. The biggest issue was uh, was poor field position and turnovers. For the most part, Oklahoma moved the football pretty well throughout the game, better in the second half, obviously. But it looked to me that Lincoln Riley had a really solid game plan, and the Sooners executed it pretty well, aside from those terrible turnovers. And not to mention, CeeDee Lamb didn't play in that game, which is not going to be an issue this week when Oklahoma plays Baylor again. Now, I did watch Baylor's next game after Oklahoma against Texas, and man, it was a night and day difference and how prepared Oklahoma was compared to how Texas was prepared with Sam Ellinger and those guys on offense. And the Longhorns didn't score a touchdown until their final series of the game. And early on, the Horns, they moved the chains a bit. They got some first downs, but they were incapable of hitting any explosive plays, which is exactly what Baylor's defense is set up to limit. Oklahoma had success in the game against Baylor. Obviously not as many explosive plays as we're accustomed to seeing Oklahoma make because Baylor's going to stop those. But the Sooners did have success because OU ran the ball pretty darn well, which forced Baylor to commit its linebackers to the run game more, which then opened up space in the second level of the secondary for Hurts to hit throws to guys like Lee Morris. And also A.D. Miller made some nice catches in that game, especially in the first half. Now Texas could not consistently find a run game and the Horns just weren't creative enough in the past game to get Devin DuVernay the football in space at all in that game, which is a big part of Texas's offense, as we all know. So here's what I'd like to think going into this game. Lincoln Riley has a pretty darn good idea of how to attack this Baylor defense. It's a defense that I would describe as conservatively aggressive. They play five defensive backs, a lot of cloud coverage over the top, keeping everything in front. They ask their DBs to come up aggressively to stop the run, but they're smart and careful enough to only do that when they know for sure it is a run play. The ball has been handed off or the quarterback's running. They don't just blindly attack run lanes, it would seem. They're smart with it. The linebackers in this defense are super important in filling run gaps. And then also a huge part of what the linebackers do with that three-man front, they rush from angles that the offensive line may not be expecting because when there's players not up on the line of scrimmage, offensive linemen, it's tough to account for where they're coming from, and that's another positive for this Baylor defense. They can have three down linemen, have the linebackers kind of roaming, and then rush from gaps that maybe offensive linemen were not expecting, which could open up holes for them to get through on good run blitzes that also turn into just blitzes to hit the quarterback. Now, what running the football does against Baylor, uh, like I said a moment ago, it opens up plenty of space in the second level, you know, behind those linebackers and in front of their super deep safeties. And I'm not so sure if Jalen Hurts is a precise enough passer to exploit those holes in the defense consistently, but we know Hurts is good enough to hit players on comebacks, 
back shoulder throws out on the edge, and Baylor puts its corners in positions where they're responsible for the entire third of the field with no flat defender there to help them out. So that opens up curls and back shoulders because those defensive backs, those corners, they know they got to get deep. They can't get beat over the top because if they come up and get caught flat-footed, that's an easy throw over the top whenever they're responsible for that deep third of the field. So we saw that the first time around, Jalen Hurts hitting those curls and back shoulders, mainly curls to guys like A.D. Miller and Lee Morris and Nick Basquin, I believe, had one too. So that's it shows me that Lincoln Riley knows how to attack this defense, and he's had some success against these three-down linemen, you know, Iowa State-type principles, keep everything in front of you-type defenses. Now, when Oklahoma starts moving the football against that Baylor zone, because Baylor likes to play out of zone, they're going to shift to man, which they did a decent amount of time against Oklahoma the first time around. And that's when you kind of hope that C.D. Lamb's presence will be noticed. Plus, that forces Baylor to put a spy on Jalen Hurts when they go man. And they'll do that in zone, too. Uh, but, you know, in theory, when you got a spy on Hurts, that's one less defender accounting for uh, you know, a zone in the passing game or even a defender on uh, an offensive player. So, yeah, I, I do like Oklahoma's chances in this game, even though they have James Lynch and Bravey and Roy up front, two guys that were first team, all Big 12. All right, let's get Grant's thoughts on the matchup between Oklahoma's offense and Baylor's defense. Oklahoma's offense versus Baylor's defense. I think this one's going to be tough, guys. Uh, Baylor's a really good defense. It's really good. I think it's top 10 in the country. They got some NFL players up front with James Lynch and Bravi and Roy. Uh, James Lynch, I think, maybe a, maybe a high NFL draft pick. Not, not first round, but probably you know probably a day two pick. Uh, Bravi and Roy is, is experienced. He's talented. He's huge. He had a really good game the first time around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a difficult game. Baylor's going to be really prepared. It's a veteran team, uh, but OU's going to be prepared as well. Um, so going into this game, I think, I think the big deal here is going to be obviously avoiding negative plays and turnovers. That's kind of been the secret sauce for OU's offense this year. If they do that, if they can avoid those negative plays and turnovers, they've been virtually unstoppable this season, which means Jalen Hurts needs to take care of the ball. And of course that's been easier said than done over the course of this season. Um, but this year, that really has been the case, is that taking care of the ball has has equaled victory for OU. I think we're really going to see them probably lean more into this new identity that they're trying to establish, kind of turn it into a Big Ten team of the Big 12. I bet we'll see a lot of heavy packages, lots of Jeremiah Hall, a lot of Braden Willis going to try to establish the run. Uh, James Lynch and Bravi and Roy really, really did affect the run game quite a bit in that first meeting. And so you know Bill Biedenboe is going to be really harping on it this week to make sure that they're ready, to make sure that they're the more physical team up front, because I think it's going to be it's going to be essential for them winning this game. Um, that does that. That's that. I think that's that's the biggest matchup in this game is OU's offensive line against Baylor's defensive line. If OU can win that that matchup, uh, they they can't lose this game um, unless you know unless there's a a ton of fumbles or weird turnovers or something like that. Um, when when they do take shots in the passing game, I'd like it to go to CD. You know, Baylor hasn't had to defend him yet this year, and maybe you can surprise him early. And of course, you know, you, you want to feed the ball to your best players. So unless OU has a lot of tricks up their sleeves in this game, I, I really think this is going to be a slugfest. Baylor, a good defense with a lot of veteran players, just chock full of veteran players. They've already seen OU run 80 plays in person this year. They've already defended 80 plays against them this year. 
probably not a lot OU is going to be able to do to surprise them, like I said, unless they just come in with a bunch of tricks up their sleeves. Um, but in that case, it's going to come down to who has the better players. And I'm going to say it time and time again in that scenario. You got to lean on your pros. OU's got some pros up front. They got a pro on the outside and CD Lamb for sure. I think they got a they they have a pro in Kennedy Brooks in the backfield and probably a pro in Ramondre Stevenson as well. Uh, those guys need to touch the ball and they need to touch it often. And uh, I I really do think we are going to see a, a, a continuation of of what we saw in Stillwater, and because that really is the best way to attack this uh, this this sort of tight Tampa two drop three, three deep safety defense that Baylor is running, and they're running it very effectively. But the one way to neutralize something like that is to have an effective run game. And OU is capable of doing that. I think they are going to have some success, but blocking James Lynch and Bravian Roy is really difficult, and they have some really uh, some really kinetic and some really active linebackers behind them who you know are going to be making plays. So OU is going to have to play well. I think I, I think Baylor really is going to come in and trying to punch him in the mouth. Um but one of the strengths of OU's offense these past handful of years is that they're downright nasty up front, and they'll punch you right back, and that's what's going to have to happen in this game. And I generally think that they're up for the challenge. All right, let's talk OU's defense versus the Baylor offense. And Oklahoma's defense, as we all know, has been rock solid since that second half of the first Baylor game. It was interesting back on Monday. Alex Grinch was asked about watching back the tape from that contest you know, how he approaches things with the team between the bad first half and the really good second half, the fantastic second half. And I liked what Grinch said. He, he talked about how he made a point with his guys to analyze the first Baylor game based on each play, each personnel grouping, each formation against a particular front and call. You know, that way you don't have context of when it happened in the game. And the idea behind that is simply to not think first half bad, second half good. So I like that Alex Grinch is utilizing that strategy, and I think that's the way they've always prepared for teams. It's just uh, it makes sense to be asked about that after Oklahoma played so differently from one half to another the first time Oklahoma played Baylor. So I got to tell you, gang, I watched that second half of Baylor, and I see the adjustments the Oklahoma defense made, particularly spying Brewer, preventing any sort of quarterback run game, and the DBs playing much smarter in coverage. Very few plays defended, I know, but just a dominant performance by Oklahoma. And the fact that Oklahoma's defense has continued its strong play into TCU and then against Oklahoma State, I'm quite confident in the Sooners' defense playing well again against Baylor. Alex Grinch, Washington State defensive coordinator starting in 2015. I went back and I looked at how Wazoo's defense fared in 2015 against Pac-12 opponents and then how they fared in 2016, which would be obviously the second time Grinch had seen the opponents in the Pac-12. So get this, 2015 Washington State gave up 34 to Cal in a loss. A year later in 2016, Washington State beat Cal and only allowed 21 points, basically two fewer touchdowns. 2015, Wazoo barely beat Arizona 45-42. When Grinch saw Arizona again a year later, his defense only gave up seven points. Stanford in 2015, Washington State lost 30-28. In 2016, Stanford only scored 16 in a Cougars blowout victory, so two fewer touchdowns allowed to Stanford a year later. To be fair, it wasn't all good, though, and we talked about this a while, while back, before, like right when Grinch was hired, 
and he never was able to figure out how to defend Washington, Washington State's biggest rivals. Washington State allowed 40 or more points to the Huskies every year that Grinch was there. So some really positive results, but against Washington, the best team that Washington State faced all those years, they just didn't have the, the guns, didn't have the talent, and Grinch could not figure out a way to stop Washington. But the point of this all is that Grinch ultimately might be pretty good at figuring out what an opponent wants to do, and then he adjusts well the second time around. We saw some in-game halftime changes in Waco last month. I'd be curious to see if a week of prep, knowing what needed to be fixed, will result in even more success for Oklahoma. You know, Obviously, Baylor practices too. Matt Rule is a smart offensive guy, so they're going to have some wrinkles. They're going to it's, it's the same idea. I, I get it. But I get the feeling that if Oklahoma snuffs out Charlie Brewer, those chunk run plays that he had quite a bit of times in the first half and just forces him to beat the Sooners with his arm, that Oklahoma is going to be in great shape. Just Brewer is not getting a lot of velocity on his throws lately here late in the year. And it's going to be a, a contained environment indoors. So it's like weather's not going to be a problem. But for whatever reason, it's just his arm strength looks just he looks shot right now so I think that's kind of interesting this guy beat you and if you can force some long throws that's even better and hey uh, this time around if Brandon Radley Hiles is blitzing uh, you know the slot corner blitz and the running back is going out to the flat and he's supposed to go with that running back as opposed to just keep going to the quarterback hopefully he goes for the running back and doesn't give up a massive explosive play which opens up the floodgates for Baylor's offense just one final thought there. All right, time to get Grant's thoughts on this particular matchup. OU's defense versus Baylor's offense. I think the main storyline going into this game and this matchup is what was kind of the real Baylor offense? Was it from the first half three weeks ago or was it from the second half? So if you remember in the first half, Baylor got out to a really good start. Of course, they had a couple really short fields gifted to them, um, but they had a really high success rate. They played really well against OU's defense in the first half. A lot of their damage really did come in the first half of that game on QB draw RPOs and specific corner routes targeting the soft zone between the corners and the safeties. And they just kind of hit on that over and over again until OU was forced to adjust in the second half, which they did, and Baylor couldn't really adjust to it. They didn't really have anything other than that. Of course, they weren't on the field a whole lot, so that could have played a large part in it too. And of course, Motley did have the, uh, the forced fumble that got them off the field. So how, how is Baylor going to come into this game? You know, is, is OU going to be ready for the same stuff that burned them the first time around? I think that's the main question. And if they are ready for it, how does Baylor adjust? You know, they are, they're probably going to have some tricks up their sleeves. What do they have to lose? Um, they're playing with house money right now. Nobody expected them to be in this situation this year. And they're playing for an outside shot of going to the playoff. So, you know, they're going to have probably some interesting wrinkles. Uh, that, those QB draw RPOs that, that Charlie Brewer is so adept at running, that's a large part of their offense. They're not just going to scrap that or anything. Uh, so OU absolutely does need to be prepared for that. I, I know they made adjustments in the second half of the game and really shut that, shut that down cold. Um, Nick Benito and David Igwebu are starting to play really well. Both guys probably played their best game as Sooners uh, last week against Oklahoma State. They're going to be really instrumental in, in, in containing Charlie Brewer and making sure that he doesn't, he doesn't break out of the pocket. Kenneth Murray, of course, as well, I think, needs to have a big game. Um, this is this is big time now. This is the Big 12 championship game. Guys are going to have to step up, and they're going to have to play well. 
you know Baylor is going to come out. You know they're going to play well. So I'm really curious to see how this goes. OU only defended 16 plays in the second half of that game three weeks ago. I'm curious as to how much that had to do just with their success in general. Baylor just wasn't out there enough for them to really make much of an impact. They didn't have enough plays to adjust because OU was so quick to shut everything down. And also OU's offense really held on to the ball. I think we're going to see a pretty similar game plan uh, in this game that we did uh, the first time around, especially in the second half. I think they probably want, I'm sure Lincoln Riley probably wants to chew on the clock and make sure his defense is not on the field a lot. So also I, I am going to watch OU's defensive line against Baylor's offensive line. I thought that was the biggest mismatch going into the game three weeks ago, and I think it probably still is this time around. It would be nice to see OU's offensive line get a little more organic pressure, but of course I think they were I think Baylor was prepared for that last time, and that's why they, they, they really wanted to play with that QB draw RPO game. So I'm curious to see maybe if Gallimore and Perkins will, will maybe try to stay a little more lane disciplined in hopes of shutting that down, but it, it wouldn't wouldn't break my heart to see them get a lot of organic pressure up front. Otherwise, I think Baylor's going to bring it. This is another tough game. Like I said, these are two good teams playing each other. Nothing's going to come easy. These guys already are familiar with each other. There's not a whole lot these two teams can do to surprise each other. Maybe a play here or there, but for the most part, it's got to be your bread and butter. You're going to have to run it. You're going to have to perfect it, and it's all about who executes the best. OU's defense is playing well. I think they can put together a good game. I hope they do. All right, I'll add one last thing on the matchup between Oklahoma's defense and Baylor's offense. Jalen Redmond being questionable obviously concerns me. He made some plays last time out there against Baylor, and I know Oklahoma played well in Bedlam without Jalen Redmond, but anytime you're missing a player like that on the defensive line, you're not at full strength. So hopefully he's okay. Hopefully he plays. have no idea what is going on with him, why he didn't travel to Bedlam, but... Uh, that was certainly a, uh, a a new story to me on Monday when Lincoln Riley announced that, and uh, I'm concerned about his availability. So uh, hopefully he gets cleared and he's good to go and he can be added to that depth on the defensive line. All right, so I've been going first the last couple of times, so I'm going to give Grant the first shot at this next segment, and this is where we talk about what we want to see happen Saturday in the Big 12 title game. Here is what I want to see happen on Saturday on the offensive side of the ball. I'd like to see the offensive line continuing to take a step forward. They were utterly dominant in the run game against Oklahoma State. They did allow some sacks. That needs to be cleaned up. Of course, going up against James Lynch and Bravi and Roy, that very obviously needs to be cleaned up. Uh, but the offensive line being successful in this game is imperative to them winning, especially with the strength Baylor has up front. I'd like to see the offense not turn the ball over. That's the golden goose this year. If they don't turn it over and if there's no negative plays, they're unstoppable. I want to see Jalen Hurts hit on a deep ball. It has been forever. Guys have been open. you got to stop leaving money on the field, as he likes to say. Continue to feed Kennedy Brooks. That Kennedy Brooks is so hot right now. Give him the ball. I'd also like to see that two-back look with Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson. Saw a lot against TCU, but not a ton against Oklahoma State. You know, that one where Stevenson is, is kind of a lead blocker for Brooks. I like that formation. I'd like to see it more often. And then, last but not least on offense, touchdowns, not field goals. I know Gabe Burkich is a G. He's awesome. But I don't like it when he's out on the field. I'd much rather see them score touchdowns. Actually, I do like it when he's out on the field, but only when he's kicking extra points. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I would love to see the defense hitting Charlie Brewer early and often. That's going to mean being disciplined in your run lanes, on those draw RPOs, keeping contain on the edge so he doesn't get outside. 
Uh, don't let him escape when you've got him collapsed in the pocket. That's going to be really big. I think if they can contain Brewer in the run game, that really hamstrings a lot of what Baylor wants to do on offense. Uh, I want to see Buki continue to uh, take a step forward. He said this week during media availability that he puts a ton of time in the film room because he thinks preparation is the most important part of the game. And I know Lee loves hearing that. Um, He said he knows what the other team is running a lot of the time because of what formation that they're in. So that's probably why he's able to blow up a lot of those screen passes and whatnot. Um, We'll see if he can make a play on Saturday. That'd be cool. Uh, Kenneth Murray, I I just, I'd love to see some more consistency in attacking your run lanes. Uh, He just, again, a lot of inconsistency uh, on in in Stillwater on Saturday. And then last, but obviously not least, probably most important, takeaways. It's a big deal. They really need to take the ball away. I would love to see three takeaways in this game. I'd love to see Motley get another pick. I'd love to see someone like DTY get a pick as well. And then, of course, I'm going to call it right now. I think Ronnie Perkins is going to have a strip sack on Charlie Brewer. It's going to be pretty sweet. That is what I would like to see happen. Here's what I want to see happen on Saturday, and it's the same formula that we've seen the last 10 quarters. I know I sound redundant going back to the last episode at this point, but I just really enjoy the way Oklahoma is winning games right now. Here's the caveat, though. The Sooners need not leave anything to chance on Saturday. Oklahoma must dominate Baylor on the scoreboard. Simply covering the nine-point spread is not enough, in my opinion. Keep that Baylor total on the scoreboard low. Field goals, not touchdowns, and score a bunch of points on this really good Baylor defense. Oklahoma's got the talent and the motivation to do that. On the flip side, Baylor has the motivation to blow out Oklahoma as well, but does the Bears possess the talent to do that without the Sooners just handing it to them on a silver platter like Oklahoma did in the first half in Waco with all those turnovers? So that being said, I want to see a turnover-free, clean game like we saw in Bedlam. I want to see Brendan Radley-Hiles have another really good game. Alex Grinch called the Oklahoma State game Radley-Hiles' best performance of the season. Build off of that, have another really good game, and I'm calling Radley Hiles by his nickname on Sunday. I want to see CeeDee Lamb have a major impact in this game, period. Will we see the five-star freshman featured like last time against Baylor? Theo Weiss, Jaden Hazelwood, maybe a little Austin Stogner again. I'd like to see that. However, get this, I do have a random conspiracy theory that Lincoln Riley is picking and choosing when to use these five-star electric type players with the hopes of making the playoff again and then unleashing these guys against teams that haven't seen much tape of these players yeah it's probably a pretty far-fetched ridiculous conspiracy theory but i can dream right that's what conspiracy theories are for they're for craziness and for us to talk about and that'd be something interesting that i might have to bring up to grant the next time we do a podcast together and i guess i should have said this earlier But I want to see Oklahoma run the ball like the Sooners have the last 10 quarters. Baylor likes to play a lot of that three-down lineman look. Oklahoma State saw that a lot. Iowa State does that quite a bit. If Oklahoma runs the ball well, the Sooners are going to win. Unless they turn the ball over a bunch. Okay, time to talk about what will happen. And I'm going to start here with it. And everyone listening out there, I got to tell you... I'm starting to believe again. The problem is, the last time I truly believed in this team, kind of the way I'm starting to to build up the belief, Oklahoma went out and lost to Kansas State pretty much immediately. That all being said, 
I feel really, really good about the Sooners winning this football game and also covering the spread. And here's why. Everything this team has gone through this year, the loss, the close wins, not forcing any turnovers, and then turning it over way more than an Oklahoma offense has in the past, falling behind by 25 to Baylor, then coming back and winning at Baylor. All of this stuff led up and has now been a part of the last 10 quarters of football, which has been the best 10 quarters Oklahoma has played straight, straight through since probably September. This team knows how to win and knows how to win now in a lot of different ways. Oklahoma also knows what it has to do to get into the playoff, I think. Winning, obviously, is most important, but winning with style is also most likely going to be necessary. I think Lincoln Riley is going to be ready, and he's going to have his guys ready to do just that. My favorite part of Riley's Monday presser was when he was talking about how it was, quote, very, very different playing the same team in a rematch a couple of years ago when Oklahoma played TCU in the Big 12 title game, the first time the Big 12 title game came back. And Riley said, now now it's his third year doing it. It, it feels more regular playing uh, the same team twice in the same year. And uh, Riley said that, that you know, Riley and this team – Riley and this team has been there, and they've done that, and they know how to win this football game. And also when Riley was asked about how much he takes from that previous game with Baylor, you know, from a film standpoint and preparation, things like that, he said, that's the back and forth you go through as coaches. You know, how much do you analyze, how much to scheme, how much not to scheme? You know, that's kind of the fun in it. Riley said the whole thing, that entire quote, he said it all with like a little smile on his face. And you can tell he just that's the part of football he loves. The planning, the chess match, out scheming your opponent. And I love that he loves that stuff. That's what makes football the best. And so that was one of my favorite parts of the press conference because the smile on his face made it to me look like he knows something. He's pretty confident in his preparation, what he's seen on tape, and what Baylor's gonna do. And I kinda like that. I like that from his press conference. For whatever reason. Oklahoma's played really well in these Big 12 title rematches the past couple of years. Even with terrible defenses, the Sooners have showed up and played pretty well on both sides of the football. Now in 2019, the offense is still really good and technically elite, but again, it's it's not as elite as Oklahoma has been the last two years, but it's still one of the best offenses in college football. And also, Oklahoma's defense is much, much better now, and it's playing the best football it's played in months. Nobody is disputing that Baylor is a really good football team. The playoff committee finally has realized it the last couple of weeks. Baylor obviously is extremely well coached. Matt Rule, I wasn't a big Matt Rule guy, but I'm starting to come around. It's pretty clear the guy knows what he's doing. But the recipe for an Oklahoma three-touchdown victory, I think, is there. And because my gut is telling me Oklahoma is going to cover this spread, I'm going to take Oklahoma to win the Big 12 title over Baylor by a score of 42 to 20 I'd be happy with that result and if a score similar to that happens on Saturday I'll feel pretty darn good about Oklahoma making the college football playoff unless Utah goes out there and smokes Oregon Friday night I think that'd be a problem all right let's see what Grant says will happen on Saturday here's what will happen in the game you know I I think OU is going to win but I, I think it's going to be it's it's going to be a slugfest. It's going to be a brawl. It's going to be a tough game. 
Um, the style they're playing right now, I, I don't really think is is conducive to blowouts. Um, the only way that's going to happen is with takeaways. You know, Baylor plays that three deep safety look that's hard to take the top off of. And I think they're going to force OU to get five yards here, seven yards there. OU's going to be successful doing that, but it's going to take up a, ton, a, a lot of time. There's not going to be a lot of possessions in this game. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, I think Baylor's probably going to come out with some new looks, confuse the OU defense at times, probably get them, uh, probably test their gap discipline a lot. Uh, but I think OU's going to make some plays down the stretch, just kind of like they have been the, in, in November. Um, I think OU's going to pull away at the very end because I think their talent, their depth is, is probably going to win out in the very end. I think OU is going to win the game 34-24, to but the game is going to be very much in doubt for a large portion of it. Um, and I, I think I think Baylor, one, is going to prove that they're just a really good team. And I think OU is going to prove that they're a really tough team and a physical team. And I think they're going to be able to win out in the end. In terms of the playoff, you know, I, I think the most likely outcome is... Utah wins moderately it wins in moderately impressive fashion on Friday night. And then I think OU, the most likely scenario is a moderately impressive win from OU, which based off what we know now, that's probably not going to be enough to swing in OU's favor. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe the committee won't be able to ignore the resume disparity um, at the very end. Who knows? Of course, in that scenario, I will be rooting for OU to get in, but really, you never know. So I think OU just needs to come out, play as, as well as they possibly can against Baylor, and let the chips fall where they may. All right, so you've got both of our predictions, what will happen in the game. We both think Oklahoma is going to win. We both think Oklahoma is going, to, is going to cover the spread. All right, no pick segment this week since Grant is not here to go over the games with me, which that's okay, that's okay. Uh, however, we do have one final piece of audio from Grant that we're going to play before we get out of here. And you heard Grant's opening take. He talked about the playoff rankings. And he's got even more playoff thoughts here. I'm going to go a little deeper on on my thoughts on the, the college football playoff poll that was released on Tuesday night. Um, you know, obviously, I, I disagree with the rankings. I, I think anybody who's listened to the show is, is going to know that, quite obviously. Um, just to kind of re-explain my position from the opening take... Um, the committee knows that Oklahoma has a better on-paper resume than than Utah does. It's it, it's not something. It's it's empirical data that is there. That's not something that they can just kind of blind themselves of. They know it's there, um, and they've acknowledged it. Rob Mullen said that. Yeah, you know, he said Oklahoma won at Baylor without their best. You know, without a, a really a prominent player of theirs. And he also gave them credit for winning on the road at Oklahoma State. And then he basically just did a yeah, but and said. And, and then and then marked Utah's consistency in their dominance over the course of the season and again reiterated that their you know that their one loss this season was without Zach Moss so I that's telling me that the committee is putting a lot of stock into that right now and with OU playing a ranked team and with with Utah playing a ranked team this week um, I'm not sure with the justification that they've used so far, just adding another resume piece for Oklahoma that hasn't been enough already. And this time around, Utah is not playing Colorado. They're playing they're playing a team that the committee was previously high on in Oregon. So um, I, I think if Utah comes out and is is even mildly impressive against Oregon, they're they're really gonna put themselves in in really good position going into Saturday. I think uh, put a lot of pressure on OU to be really impressive. 
And and I just I think odds are, odds are is that Utah is probably going to continue looking like Utah. They're probably going to win by. I don't know, double digits. It's not going to be a blowout, but it's going to be pretty clear that Utah is a better team. Um, and then I think it's I think it's likely that OU and Baylor probably play another close game just because Baylor's a good football team. And I think based off that evidence, I, I'm, you know, the committee, if that were to happen, would, would probably just go with Utah because that's what they've been doing in the previous polls. Um, of course, things are, you know, are going to change if... Um, if Oklahoma is dominant or plays well, what if Utah loses? It wouldn't shock me if Oregon beats Utah. However, I do think Utah is, is quite a bit better than Oregon. I, and I think they're, they're probably going to show that on Friday night. Um, and of course, OU could come out and be dominant. I don't think it's very likely, but it's, it's always possible. Um, it just, it, it's just not something I anticipate. The, the style of offense they're playing right now and Baylor's kind of proclivity for, uh, for preventing big plays, it's going to be hard to jump out on them. And, you know, I, unless this defense just kind of bows their neck a little bit and plays their best game of the season, you know, Baylor's going to score a little bit. So it's just a, a big time blowout to me against Baylor doesn't really seem that feasible. I, I can, can easily see a situation that OU wins by double digits. Um, but, and the, but I, I really do think they're going to have to be extremely impressive uh, to, to jump Utah. And then, of course, all of this is completely moot if, if Georgia ends up beating LSU. Um, I, I do buy into the national narrative that's going forward right now. I do think Ohio State and LSU are in no matter what. Um, so, of course, Georgia could just kind of put a wrench in this entire thing. And, and honestly, if that, if that scenario plays out where Utah plays well and beats Oregon and OU just kind of beats Baylor and isn't super impressive, uh, I'm going to be rooting like hell for Georgia to cause a lot of chaos uh, I think that's going to be a, the the quickest way to to an eighteen playoff. So, um, just you know, I, I yeah, I, I disagree with with Utah being at five, um, and and the Sooners being at six. But you know, I'm I'm gonna. It, it's a little different this season, whereas I, there hasn't been a lot of instances where there are these two one loss potential conference champions that are close like this at the end. It's really just been there's you know a conference at this point in time has kind of already played themselves out of it with two losses. So uh, this is kind of uncharted territory, but you know, I, when the rules were, were set, when the playoff was created for the 2014 season, you know, the, the rules did allow for this type of subjectivity in the committee, um, them using this eye test formula that they're, they're clearly valuing right now. Um, and, and I, I guess under those subjective parameters, I, I, I can accept arguments that that Utah is better than Oklahoma. They have Utah has objectively looked better than Oklahoma more consistently this season. Now I think there's arguments to be made about whether or not Utah's poor schedule allows for that to happen. I think that's totally in bounds. Um, but if you watch Utah play, that's a pretty impressive team. And so I, I can forgive the committee, I suppose, for thinking that Utah looks better than Oklahoma. But also I I, I do wish that they would they would kind of think a little more critically about it. But also, like I said, the rules do allow for that subjectivity. So I don't want to be a guy who's just sitting here complaining about the rules. Um, until conference champions are automatically in, I I guess I'm just going to be the guy who's complaining about the rules, and I don't really want to do that. Um, but yeah, Utah's a good team. Uh, they're chock full of veterans. They're top 10 in SP plus offense and defense. That's pretty rare and something that OU cannot say. Um, but yeah, obviously, I don't think subjective criteria is the most feasible method for picking the field. I think you should use verifiable data. And, um, but of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to be biased here because my team looks better in that sense. 
So um, either way, I, I hope kind of some things happen. I hope Oregon can play Utah tough on Friday. Um, and then I hope OU can come out and, and be really impressive against Baylor on Saturday morning. All right, those are Grant's thoughts on the playoff, his, his further thoughts on the playoff. And that is our show. I, I don't have anything on the playoff. I, I just, you know, I'm going to be consistent. I don't have any strong feelings. I'm not surprised where Oklahoma is. I, I get the argument that they should be above Utah. They probably should. Oklahoma should probably be ahead of Utah based on the resume, things like that. Utah hasn't beaten anybody really that impressive. Oklahoma has a more impressive win. I, I I get it, and but there's not much you can do about it right now. I I'm waiting, like I've said since the beginning, since the first playoff rankings. I'm waiting for the final poll to come out, and then when that comes out, if there's anything that's ridiculous or is dumb, then I will have thoughts because I want to be consistent and continue to say that no rankings matter until the final ranking because that's when all of the data is in that is our show enjoy the big 12 title on saturday now if oklahoma wins i'm sure we're going to wait to record the post-game podcast until after the final playoff rankings have been released on sunday and if the sooners lose well we're not going to really want to do a post-game pod but you know we're going to do it we will and we're not going to be happy about it and you know we'll be mad and, and you guys will all be mad too because oklahoma lost and we'll all be mad together Hopefully, though, that is not the case come Sunday. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.